ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋಭುನ ಸಹವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಮನಸೈವೇಂದ್ರಿಯಗ್ರಾಮಯ ಸಂತ ಶನೈ ಶನೈರುಪರಮೇದ ಬುಧ್ಯಾಧೃತಿಗೃಹೀತ ಆತ್ಮಸಂಸ್ಥ ಮನಃಕೃತ್ವಾಚಿದಿ ಚಿಂತೆಯೇದರತಿ ಮನಶ್ಚಂಚಲಮಸ್ಥಿರ ಪ್ರಶಾಂತಮನಸಂಹೇನಿಶಾಂತರಜಸ ಪ್ರಶಾಂತಮನಸಂಗಿಲಿಯರ್ಧಮಾನ್ಕ್ವಿಲಿಟಿಂಟ್ರಿಟಿನ್ our mind essentially becomes free from ragadveshas in the process of karma yoga so then also again progressively tranquilize the mind and progressively also discover the happiness of yourself so it is not that only now but at every step so really this is the most practical thing and we can in fact discover the efficiency the effectiveness of the path of yoga the spiritual pursuit even as we go along so we become our own uh, pramanam you know because as we said every time i perform an action with the spirit of yoga there is an immediate satisfaction right away so in fact why worry about the future why worry about karma phala or result of the action because the very action when performed properly meaning with the sense of duty in the sense of worship sense of offering based on values that very action becomes a source of satisfaction to me <clears throat> and that satisfaction keeps on building up as we do more and more of that and more and more satisfaction does get on building up ragadveshas progressively become reduced and so it is not that moksha means some day i will discover that happiness and every step we keep on discovering and this is how the shraddha our trust also becomes firm the conviction also becomes firm because we are in the process of constantly discovering the freedom so it is not that the freedom will come some day yes the total freedom will come some day but then every step i am discovering freedom i am discovering an inner contentment i am discovering an inner comfort with me an inner satisfaction or acceptance of myself i am discovering an inner peace as my own conflict with myself arising from my not accepting myself as that conflict keeps on getting resolved i discover the tranquility prashantamanasam when there is a total self self acceptance having discovered that i am completeness lacking nothing wanting nothing 
I am exactly as I ever wanted to see myself to be. Because it is aspiration of a human being that he wants to see himself as perfect. That's why people are perfectionists, they call it, because they somehow, this, this desire to see myself as perfect, then becomes expressed as doing everything in a perfect manner. Perfectionist. Whether that is good, bad or indifferent, the idea is all of these ultimately arise from our innate desire to see ourselves as free from any imperfection, free from any lack, any want. And what it means, I do not know. And that's the reason why I want to make my body perfect, or I want to make my action perfect and things like that. So thus our desire to be perfect gets expressed in different ways, which lends often into trouble, that's a different matter. But what Vedanta says is that, in fact, perfectness is your nature. And so, when that nature is discovered, with no doubt, with no obstacle, with, when there is a total conviction about it, then there is a total peace within myself because there is a total self-acceptance. So understand again that the only cause of unhappiness or sorrow is my not being comfortable with me, my not accepting me because I find myself an incomplete being. So as I keep on discovering completeness as myself, to ultimately I, I, I discover a total tranquility. That is the true nature of the mind. As we say, in fact, mind also inherently tranquil by nature. And agitation, etc. are all foreign. They are all foreign or incidental. So thus, they being incidental, they can be removed and mind can attain its true nature of total tranquility. Prashantam samhiram yoginam this yogi uttamam sukhamapayati So whether you call it tranquility, whether you call it peace, or whether you call it ananda or unsurpassable happiness, it's all the same. So unsurpassable happiness or ananda or total tranquility is all the same. So uttamam sukhamapayati the unsurpassable. So this is how moksha is described. Moksha is cessation of all the sorrow and attainment of unsurpassable happiness. Therefore, prashantamanasam, the mind from which all the sorrow has gone away. And uttamam sukham yoga upayati, this unsurpassable happiness reaches or comes to the yogi who has become shantarajasam whose mind has become free from all rajas or disturbances, akalmasham, free from kalmasha or sin or, or, or the tamas. Brahma Bhutam, who has become Brahma, that is also important. The yogi is now Brahma Bhutam, one who has become Brahma. Jivan Muktam, Brahma Ivasarvamitevam Nishchevantam, Brahma Bhutam. This Nishchaya, that I am Brahman and everything is Brahman. Thus, in the perception of a wise person, it is not that I am alone Brahman and others are different from Brahman. Sarvam, Brahma eva sarvam. Brahma alone is everything. So it's called Brahma Bhutam. This wise person has become Brahman. We should not say he's become Brahman. Everyone is already Brahman. But then, now he has, this has become a reality for him. It is not enough that I am Brahman, but that should become a reality for me. And this is, that is the whole purpose of this spiritual pursuit. So, Brahma Bhutam Akalmasham, therefore he is free from sin. He doesn't have the sense of doership. When he discovers himself as all, as complete, then he recognizes that even the doership also is not in me. So he discovers himself as Akarta, Abhokta, not a doer, not an enjoyer, and therefore, in fact, he does not perform any action. The papa or the sin can be there, provided I perform an action, when there is sense of doership. And then, whenever I wind up violating a value, then that action will be called a papa or sin, and that is how I will be stuck to the papa. So, Akalmasham, here Bhashyakara explains that he has become free from both punya and papa, virtue and vice. Because virtue and vice both are for the performer of action. He no more sees himself as a performer of action. Therefore, 
is free from Punya Papa. This, when we perform action, when Punya Papas are created, that is what in fact becomes the basis for continuing this cycle of birth and death. So Jivan Muktam, one who is liberated even while here, meaning that now he is free from any, free from any bondage, free from the need for next birth. So Jivan Muktam, he has become Jivan Mukta. <coughs> This, when it's said here, how the yogi attains the unsurpassable happiness, that very same thing is explained in the next verse, verse 28. Yogi vigata kalmashaha Sukhena Brahma Samsparsham Atyantam Sukha Mashnute Yunyan Evam Evam in this manner in a manner that is described from the verse 24 Sankalpa Prabhavan Kaman Chattva So as Lord Krishna briefly described how the yogi progressively withdraws his mind towards himself and ultimately makes a mind abide in his own self, meaning that the mind resolves as a very self. Even in this manner. And then, yato yato nischarati. If the yogi finds that the mind gets distracted for whatever reason, then he again brings the mind back and makes it back means abides in the self. So this practice, so whatever obstacles there are within, those obstacles make his mind distracted now and then, and therefore in the process of making the mind free from distraction, he is progressively overcoming all the obstacles also, and thus when all the obstacles are removed, so yogi yoga antaraya varjitaha, the yoga shastra talks of many antaraya, or many obstructions to yoga, Many, many obstructions to the mind gaining the concentration or the mind gaining avoidance. There are many obstructions, there are obstacles they talk about. For example, Vyadhi. The, the body sometimes is, you know, has some difficulty, has some disease or has some pain, etc. That also becomes an obstacle. Styana. Also, my thinking that I cannot do something. I think I can't do that. That kind of a mentality also becomes an obstacle. Some share doubt. Can I do that? Will it happen? Is this right? Is it not right? Pramada. Inadvertence. Pramada means instead of doing this yoga, mind, man keeps doing something else. And that's what avoids this. Indifference, inadvertence. Alasya, laziness. He doesn't do anything. Pramada means he does something other than what he should be doing. Alasya, he doesn't do. Even though he is he's capable of doing, he just doesn't do. Avirati, lack of vairagya, lack of dispassion from the, the fascination of the objects and that also becomes an obstacle because his mind again runs after the because of his the, because of its fascination for objects. Brahanti darshanam, seeing the wrong thing is right, also can become an, is an obstacle. Alabdhumikatva, somehow not attaining that bhumika, not being able to gain that concentration or absorption. And anavasthiti, having gained that absorption, not being able to abide in that. So progressively, all these different obstacles are there. Therefore, it requires a long practice to overcome all the obstacles. Therefore, evam yunjan, in this manner, the yogi who has been constantly striving to gain an abidance in the self, by resolving the very meditator. So you said, this is the culmination of all the renunciation process. 
Therefore, Lord Krishna in the very first verse of this chapter praised a karma yogi also as a sannyasi. Sa sannyasi cha yogi cha. Because one who takes to the path of karma yoga will become a sannyasi and yogi. As you said, karma yoga means karyam karma karodhyaya. He does what is to be done. Anasitaha karma phalam. Without any expectation or without a need for any personal reward. Who performs action where work is worship. One who performs action as his own offering. He'll become a sannyasi and a yogi. So he becomes like that. That is how. So all along this is the path of sannyasa. Even performing action in the spirit of duty or yoga also requires renunciation of my likes and dislikes. Of my preferences very often because I should do what is to be done and not necessarily what I like to do. So what I like to do may not be what I should do. Then I do what I should do and setting aside my likes. Or I should not do something even though I like to do it. Then my likes and dislikes have to be set aside. That's how constantly the letting go. Renunciation is letting, letting go. The letting go of likes and dislikes keep on taking place. The letting go culminates ultimately into this meditation that is described where you let go the very meditator. So this is the meditation upon the very meditator and therefore the final role of a meditator also is let go. So understand life is nothing but letting go, that's all. Holding on to the things is what creates sorrow and letting go is what makes us free. Unfortunately, we hold on to more and more things, thinking that that is how we will become secure. And so, for the sake of security, we hold on to more things. Not recognizing that more we hold on to, more bound we become. And therefore, yoga means a life of letting go. Let it go. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Oh, he did. Doesn't matter. Forgive him. Accommodate him. Don't hurt him. Don't tell. Don't cheat him. Don't... Don't seek anything which is, you know, which does not conform to your values. Let it go. Oh, but if I tell one lie, I can go out, get these things. Let it go. If I cheat him a little bit, then I can get so much benefit. Let it go. So, in following values, we have to let go of many temptations. In performing duty, we have to let go of many likes and dislikes. I know I hate to do this, Swamiji, but I have to do it because my duty. All right. Let's do because you have to do. So that is a lot of sacrifice. So what is meant by a sacrifice is letting go. You become lighter and lighter and lighter. And how light you become? You become weightless. Means you become everything. You become Brahma. You become limitless. Therefore, the, this is a great bargain. What we give up is a small insignificant ego and what we gain is limitless Brahman. So thus, Yunjanivam Sadatmanam, one who has always been focusing one's mind upon the truth of oneself. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so all the time, Yoga or fixing the mind is required, even in karma yoga also. As Lord Krishna says, Anashita karma phalam karyam karma karodhyaya. Then I am committed to perform an action that should be done. And so I must fix my mind in what is to be done. Also, the mind runs out seeking benefit. Again, I should fix my mind, make it free from its natural tendency of seeking personal rewards. So he has been doing this process. So karma yoga also, the reason why karma yoga becomes a stage before meditation is because during karma yoga also constantly we have to pay attention to our mind, attention to various thoughts, various tendencies, various intentions, various reactions, we have to pay attention to all of it and keep on resolving them. So process of resolution has been going on. 
evam yunjan yogam. And then finally, on the seal of meditation also, you resolve the remaining little residue. <coughs> Sada atmanam yunjan, who has been thus practicing this yoga, practicing this process of resolving oneself in one's true nature all the time, for a long time. Vigata kalmasham, therefore, he has become free from kalmasha, free from papa. What is this papa? Free from papa and punya. How has he become free from papa and punya? Because he has become free from the very sense of doership. This is all unfair in the fourth chapter. Karmani, akarmaya pashyat. Now he sees himself with action as a changeless. <coughs> and therefore, not participating so far, he participated in performing action. But when we participate in the right way, then ultimately it results into recognition that there is no participation at all. In fact, the self never participates because it is actionless. But to reach that actionless self is to perform actions properly. Na karmanamanarambhat the third chapter, Lord Krishna said that by avoiding performance of your duties, you will not gain the state of actionlessness. It is by properly performing duty that one ultimately reaches this state of actionlessness. Vigala <coughs> kalmasha, that is how you become free from kalmasha, free from impurities, free from blemishes, free from papa, free from punya, free from sense of doership, which is the cause of this power punya. Sukhena Brahma Samsparsham Atyantam Sukhamashnude Sukhena Anayasena effortlessly. Sukhena is happily, but Sukhena is Anayasena without Ayasa, without effort, effortlessly. Sukhamashnude, he attains the Sukham happiness effortlessly. What kind of happiness? Brahma Samsparsham Sukham. The happiness that results from a contact with Brahman. That's interesting, you know. Here Lord Krishna uses the expression Brahma Samsparsham. What is Samsparsha? Samsparsha means touch. Thus he contacts Brahman. How does he contact Brahman? Just as the river contacts ocean. How does the river contact ocean? Really by merging into ocean. By becoming ocean, is it not so? In what way would a river contact the ocean? When the river merges into ocean, then from now on it gets to be called ocean, no more river. Says Prashnopanishad, Samudra Ityam Prochade. Just as the flowing rivers, when they merge into ocean, they let go the names and forms. That name and form, identification name and form is what was causing a sense of limitation on the part of river, that I am such and such river, different from other rivers and different from ocean. When merging into ocean, that very name and form is let go. That is the renunciation of the river. Then somebody would think that, hey, this poor river has given itself up, it has no more existence. Because that's what is thought. Sometimes people think that this, this path, requires me to give up my ego, myself, then who will experience that happiness somebody? When the experience is not there, who is experiencing happiness? How can I, how can I let that go? But as I said, when the river lets go its name and form, it is not that the river goes out of existence, it doesn't. What loses existence is only sense of limitation. Because what is river? Nothing but water. So that remains very much. What is real can never go out of existence. Na sato vidyate na bhavo vidyate sataha. What is real can never go out of existence. So one should never worry. What will happen to me? Nothing can happen to you because you are existence. Never Lord Krishna vigata vihi. Don't worry. Don't think you are going to disappear. Don't think that you are going to, you know, your, your existence will, you know, will be out of existence. It cannot. So when the river gives up the limited name and form, it comes to be called ocean. 
So by giving up that little ego, it gained the infinite. So also Brahma Bhutam, this yogi has become Brahma. Same thing is said here, Brahma Samsparsham. It is not so much contact with Brahman really, but becoming Brahman. Because how can you contact Brahman? You see, contact in a primary sense can take place between two entities, each one of which has distinction. So there is this object here, there is another object here. There can be a person, a contact with them because this flower has its own distinct character, this paper clip has its own distinction, its own confinement, this object is confined its own time and space, this confined its own time and space, and yes, they can have a contact, Sanyoga and Vyoga. But can the flower have a contact with space? Can you say a flower has contact with space? Because space doesn't have any confinement, doesn't have any tangibility, doesn't have any distinction, and therefore the flower in contact with the space. You may say that, but really the flower recognizes that I am space, suppose. <clears throat> and Brahman being formless, partless, there cannot be sparsha or contact in the real sense. The only way we can explain the contact is river contacting the ocean. Which means that river losing its rivership and becoming ocean. So, Brahma samsparsham. Therefore, Brahmana, the Tikagara would explain this expression. Bhashikara doesn't seem to bother much, you know. He says, Brahmana samsparsha, you know. So, contact with Brahman. And so, Tikagara says, Tadatmam aikarasyam, in fact, becoming Brahman. Becoming homogeneous or identical to Brahman. Because there is no distinction between the self and Brahman. <coughs> then, Sukham Atyantam Antam Atityavadari Antyantam That which is beyond the Antar, beyond the limitation, the limitless happiness. Utkrishtam, most exalted happiness. What makes this happiness most exalted? Because it is not generated. It is not generated as a result of contact with a pleasurable sense object or something. It is what is inherent. It is what is natural. It is what manifests itself being the nature of the yogi. And therefore, since it is not something that comes, therefore it cannot go away. If this happiness came, it would go away also. Although the expression is that upaiti, the happiness comes to the yogi, not really coming in a primary sense. It's like a river flooding and, and, and you know, occupying everything. Various descriptions are given of how, you know, like a, a, a hailstone made of, made of uh, ice, how it falls in the ocean and merges and becomes one. Different kind of examples are given to show the identity in fact, or how the place is flooded, Yavanartha Udapane, how the whole place gets flooded. And so also you may say, the heart of a yogi gets flooded as though, I mean these are expressions, meaning that is the expression to say that the happiness comes to him, meaning that he, there is no distance or difference between himself and happiness which is limitless. <coughs> So this is how, in those two verses, Lord Krishna describes the outcome, result of this Dhyana Yoga or the meditation upon the Self. <clears throat> is it that this Yogi is liberated only as long as he is meditating? Is his liberation or happiness confined only to as long as he is meditating? Says no, he becomes Jivan Muktaha. He is liberated while living. Understand that his perception of himself includes the perception of everything. So, what is the vision of the yogi? When the yogi sees himself, when the yogi gains the true nature of himself, what's the nature of that knowledge? That's what Lord Krishna described in the next three verses, actually. So let's read the verse 29. 
सर्वभूतस्थमात्मनमूतात्मने ईक्षते योगयुक्तात्मादर्शन सो दीज वर्सिस टेलस एस टू हाउ दिस वाइस पर्सन इज डिफरेंट फ्रॉम योगी दीज वर्सेज डिस्क्राइब द विजन ऑफ द वाइस पर्सन Because Yoga Shastra still accepts the Sankhya philosophy, wherein all the self are accept, accepted as different from each other. But here, Lord Krishna says, "What is the perception of the wise person? Sarvabhutasthamatmanam, sarvabhutani chaatmani ikshate. Ikshate he sees, sees not with the eyes, sees with his mind." The yogi also, the wise person also, with eyes he sees the same thing that everybody else sees. But seeing we do not see. That's the thing. Lord Krishna says, seeing the person does not see. In the thirteenth chapter, these expressions are used. You know, so samam sarveshu bhuteshu tishthantam parameshwaram. विनश्यत्सु अविनश्यंतम यह पश्यति स पश्यति समम सर्वेशु भूतेशु तिष्ठंतम द ट्रूथ और ब्रह्मन और गॉड और रियलिटी और द सेल्फ सर्वेशु भूतेशु समम इन ऑल डिसिमिलर बीइंग्स बिकॉज एवरी नेम एंड फॉर्म इज डिफरेंट फ्रॉम एवरी अदर नेम एंड फॉर्म इन दर नो टू थिंग्स आर आइडेंटिकल इन द वर्ल्ड meaning that the world with which we are interacting consists of objects and things and being which are all dissimilar in all dissimilar things and beings samam te samam pashyati one who sees the same thing in all non same things that dissimilar thing one who sees the same one who sees that most common denominator as i said in the morning class What is the most common denominator in all names and forms? Asti, bhati, priya. Just as the gold is the most common denominator in all golden ornaments, or the water is the most common denominator in all the waves, and so also, what is the most common denominator? What is the essence? What just as the wave ultimately gets resolved into water, and so also. What is it in which every name and form will ultimately get resolved into? If you take an object and keep on reducing it into its components, as a scientist, as physicist would do, that he would keep on dividing and subdividing and subdividing and subdividing, and you know, where will this ultimately go? For a scientist, it dissolves into energy. For a Vedant, then where will it dissolve? They say that as you keep on subdividing the objects into its components and or and thus you want to get the most fundamental building block. As you keep subdividing and subdividing and subdividing, ultimately they say it disappears. Nothing remains there. So that is called energy. It gets resolved to energy. This is how far the scientists can go. Because. That is a reality for him. What does the Vedantin say? Vedantin doesn't say nothing remains. Even when the object that you are observing, even when that disappears, understand the observer remains very much. Observer doesn't go. And therefore, it doesn't dis- disappear, doesn't become non-existent. As Shankaracharya explains. In Bhasya and Kathopanishad, that when you thus resolve things, effect into cause, effect into cause, or assemble into its components, <clears throat> the idea of sat always remains. You take a part and break it into shreds, then the part is gone, but shreds are, and therefore the name and form is changed, but that isness remains. 
formerly isness was as part and now the isness is as shreds. You further break the shreds and make the fiber out of them, the shreds are gone, still the fiber is, the molecule is, the atom is. And therefore the mind does not ever get free from or away from the idea of hisness. And hisness presupposes also consciousness because you can say something is only when you are conscious of that. So Sat and Chit, they never go away, they never disappear. And therefore that is the most fundamental essence into which any name and form gets resolved. But this a scientist cannot accept, he cannot do that because you can't see Sat and Chit, nor can you measure them on an instrument. You can't demonstrate, that's out of his bounds, you see. Because the scientists only formed his own boundaries, which is right. They have, they have defined their boundaries. And they will only accept things which falls in that boundary. This doesn't fall in that boundary. Then from there you will come to yourself. What remains is yourself actually. And therefore, Vedanta would say that the truth of his object, that Asti Bhadi Priyam, is not out there, it is in fact your own self. So the discovery culminates or com- becomes complete only when you recognize that you are the truth of that. Asti or Sat is not some tangible thing. It is your own self. That you are also Asti Bhadi Priyam. That is how the discovery of the truth of an object results into discovering that I am the truth of that. This is Vedanta. And I say, this only Vedantin can do. Because he doesn't start saying, he doesn't ask the question, what is the nature of this? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, who am I? He says, I am Brahman. This is Brahman. Upanishad says, Sarvam Khalavidam Brahma. Whatever there is, is Brahman. Aham Brahma asmi. I am also Brahman. So Vedanin starts from there. He doesn't come to Brahman because you can never. If I am Brahman, then how come this flower is different from me? Then you discover it's not different from you. When you change, you see what happens is, when your own perception of yourself changes, then perception of everything also changes. As long as I perceive myself as a being confined to this body-mind complex, so long the rest of the world is outside of me, different from me. And so long I judge others also, by their body and my endeavor, I judge each one of them as a separate entity. Because I look upon myself as an entity. <clears throat> when I recognize that the body, mind, intellect, etc. is not my true nature. I am the self, the consciousness functioning through that. And therefore I am not confined to this one body, mind, one name and form. Just as the space might think, because of ignorance, that it is confined to this part. So space thinks that I am part space. And therefore, then it looks upon itself different from some other space. And yet, it's third space, then there are so many spaces. A part space and a waste space and what space. Each thing that is different. Only when you recognize that I am space and I cannot be confined to the part. In fact, part is within me. I am not within the, I am not inside the part. Part is within me. So when the part space discovers this true dimension, they recognize that space anywhere is I. Therefore, I am everything. And so also when the wise person recognizes that I am not, I am the space meaning I am Asti Bhati Priyam, I am Satchit which is formless, which is not tangible. The very existence, the very awareness I am, when this is what is discovered, then when my perception about myself changes completely, then my perception of you also changes. I recognize, hey, just as I am consciousness having this body-mind complex, is also a same consciousness having that body-mind complex. It is I, the consciousness, who has all these complexes, meaning I am the self of all. Sarabhutastamatmanam. When his knowledge about himself changes, they recognize that, hey, 
I am the self of all the beings. Just as I am the self of this one body, mind, one name and form, so also I am the self of all the names and forms. Sarabhuta samatmanam, Sarabhuta anichatmani. Now when I say that I am the self of all the beings, one would think that I am within the beings, that I am the self of this body-mind complex, one may think that still this body-mind complex is different from me. For example, when the space says that, hey, I am the space, I am the self of all spaces, then one would still think that the part is separate from space. So the next sentence says, Sarabhutani Satmani, here the parts are also in me. I'm the space that is in all the parts and pens. The same time, all the parts and pens are in me. Meaning that nothing stands apart from me. Just as space recognizes no part and no pen and no hall and nothing ever stands separate from me. That the eye is all inclusive. And so also, when I recognize that consciousness is my nature. Wholeness is my nature. Completeness is my nature. Then I discover that not only I am the self of all, all there is, is I alone. There is nothing but space. In fact, the part is nothing but manifestation of space. Because that's how Vedanta explains that first the space emerged, from that the air, from that the fire, from that the water, from that the earth, from that the part. So really, this part is nothing but manifestation of space. The idea of partness is only superimposed upon the space. All there is is space alone. This is called the vision of non-duality. Non-duality is not absence of duality. It is in spite of perception of duality. That I am the self of all and that everything is in me. I am in everything. Everything is in me. Meaning that nothing whatever is separate from me. It is all the manifestation of myself. I alone manifest myself as this universe of names and forms. All there is, is I, one without a second. Ikshade, how does this yoga yukta He doesn't see that with his eyes. With eyes, the wise person also sees what everybody else sees. Yoga yukta He sees that with what we call his eyes of knowledge. So yoga yukta-atma, one who is yukta-atma, one who has become atma is antahkaranam. So one whose mind is completely yukta or completely focused, or we should say completely resolved into yoga or the knowledge of oneself. So one who has an abidance of one who is an abiding knowledge of one's own self. Sarvatra samadarshanaha he becomes one who sees sama or equal in all of them. In all the unequal, he sees equal. In all the dissimilar, he sees the similar. And what is that similar or same? Nothing but his own self. <clears throat> Thus he sees himself and nothing else. There is nothing apart from me. In fact, all there is is only one self. Even word self also is no more than has the same meaning as the word self. Because usually, when we use the word self, it is distinguishing from something else. When I use the word I, there also is its own limitation because the I is not you. So the word I excludes the idea of you. Therefore, in fact, the self or I that the wise person knows is not I that another wise person knows. It transcends the idea of you and I. Sarvatra samadarsanaha, one who sees samam brahma. Sama is brahman which equally abides, which is substratum of all. He sees that his own self. That is the vision of the wise person. Same thing is stated in the next verse, in, in different words. Yomam Pashyati Sarvatra Samam Sarvam Chamai Pashyati 
तस्याहम न प्रणश्यामि सचमेन प्रणश्यते सो फॉर्मली वेर द वर्ड आत्मा वॉज यूज इन द प्रीवियस वर्ड देर लॉर्ड कृष्ण यूज इज द वर्ड मामी अदरवाइज सेम थिंग यू माम पश्चिद सर्वत्र लॉर्ड कृष्णा सेज वन हु सीज मी एवरीवेयर फॉर्मली वर्ड सेज वन हु सीज सेल्फ एवरीवेयर लॉर्ड कृष्णा सेज वन हु सीज मी एवरीवेयर मीनिंग दैट वन हु नोज मी एज इज सेल्फ one who knows vasudeva the lord as his own self brahman is his own self sarvam chamai pasyati and sees everything in me meaning that what is meant by seeing everything in me is seeing that nothing is apart from me like the pot space seeing itself as the self of all the spaces and seeing that all the pots and pans are in me meaning there is nothing apart from me All there is is one space. Understand that whatever is in space is nothing but the modification of space, and so also whatever is in consciousness is nothing but modification of consciousness. Is one consciousness that becomes all the tangible forms, and therefore one does not fail to recognize. So either you use the word I or you use the word Vasudeva. You mam pasyadi sarvatra one. Who sees me, the Lord Vasudeva, everywhere? Sarvam chamai pashadi, and sees everything in me, the Vasudeva. Then what is the fruit of this? So the second line of his verse tells us what is the result of this vision. What's the result of this knowledge? Tasyaham na pranasyaami sachame na pranasyadi. He pranasyami nash in Sanskrit the meaning of the root nash is adarshane nash adarshane nashta nashta is generally we understand destroyed you know that's what we think when we use word nashta in our language it is usually nashta means destroyed or gone. But Sanskrit nashta means one who is gone from my sight. Adarshanam gataha, who is no more seen, no more perceived, is called nashta, lost. So Lord Krishna says, for a devotee of mine like this, the wise person like this, who sees me everything where, and sees everything in me, meaning that in whose vision there is nothing but me. Tasyaham na pranasyami. I never get lost from his sight. I never become remote to him. I always with him. I'm always with him. Sachemena pranasyadi. He never goes out of my sight. I never become remote to him. He never loses my sight. Nor does he lose so. And I never lose his sight. Meaning, he always sees me, and I always see him. You know what it means? It only means identity, because when I know the self as Vasudeva, I can never lose sight. Understand that we never lose sight of ourselves. We never become unaware of ourselves, because awareness is the very nature of the self. Therefore, it cannot be that I am unaware of myself. I have freedom to become unaware of anything else. But it cannot be that I am unaware of myself. Try that, or try to meditate in this way. You know, so even Mahatma says, you can put this fellow on the right. You know, you know, he's asking to meditate. I am not there. I am not. Let him meditate upon. I am not. You can never not be. You can never not be, because. Your being is not because of some reason. Something can go away. Something can be destroyed when the cause is destroyed. The cloth will be destroyed when the cotton gets destroyed. The pot will be destroyed if the clay gets destroyed. But the self is indestructible, and therefore it can never. It is not the, because the cloth is 
cloth is because of cotton. Therefore, by cotton going away, cloth goes away. Because the pot is due to clay, the clay going away, the pot goes away. I am. Because of what? That I am is because of nothing. Because I am. I shine because I shine. To shine is my nature. To be is my nature. And nature means that it does not require any reason to be. Therefore, Lord Krishna says, He never goes out of my sight, nor do I ever go out of my sight, because we are one. He sees me as his own self, and I know him, of course, as my own self. Meaning that he always abides in me, who is his true nature. <clears throat> and what is meant by moksha is being stated in the next verse, verse 31. Sarva bhuta sthitam yomam Bhajatye katvamasthitaha Sarvatha vartamanopi Sayogi mai vartate The first line says the same thing which the previous two verses said Sarabhuta sthitam maam. Lord Krishna's eye who abides in all the beings as the very self. Ekatvam asthitaha. Asthita abiding in ekatvam oneness. Abiding in oneness with me who obtains as the self of all. Meaning the wise person who knows himself as the self of all, who knows himself as one and non dual, who knows himself as identical to Ishvara or knows Brahman as very self and abiding in that vision. So this wise person abides in the vision of vision that I am one non-dual. All there is is I and all you can say all there is is Brahman or all there is is I. <coughs> so one who abides in this vision he is liberated. What's the definition of liberated? He is called Jivan Muktaha is liberated while living. So this liberation is described by Lord Krishna in the second line of this verse. Sarvatha vartamanopi sayogi mai vartate. Sarvatha vartamanopi. Whatever he does, sarvatha vartamanopi. In whatever way he conducts himself, sayogi mai vartate. That yogi always remains in me, the yogi always abides in me, regardless of how he conducts himself. See, this is something to be understood. And see what Lord Krishna, what he says is something very serious here. So this wise person, who knows himself as self of all, who knows himself as Brahman, which is non-dual, who knows himself as everything, Sarvathavartamanopi, in whichever way he conducts himself. By saying that Lord Krishna is as though giving a license to this person. Whatever he is found to be doing. What do you mean whatever? Whatever. There is no sankocha, meaning there is no restriction to this word whatever. Whatever he does. But suppose uh, he swerves from the path of dharma, suppose his behavior is adharmic, whatever he does. So, Swami, suppose he eats something like that, whatever he does. Sayogi mai vartate, he still abides in me, he never gets separated from me, meaning that he abides in me, I, he never gets away from me. Meaning that Lord Krishna said that he never goes out of my sight, I never go out of his sight, meaning that he always abides in me. He is always liberated. He is always in me. Regardless of how he acts. Because the wise people are of different kinds. Depending what they do is determined by their prarabdha or destiny. Wise person does not have any free will. In fact, he is free from the need to exercise free will. Free will is required as long as there is something to be achieved. 
Inasmuch as there is nothing to be achieved, therefore the wise person does not have any, he doesn't exercise free will, he has completely surrendered himself at the altar of destiny. Whatever destiny decides for him, he never has anything to say. We cannot say that about ourselves. Destiny may say, Swamiji, fall into that well, forget it, I won't do that. So I will exercise my free will and, and not do what I don't want to do. And destiny says, Swami, don't do that. I must still do it because I want to do it. An ordinary person always exercises free will and asserts his likes and dislikes. That's how the free will exercised. And avoids what he does not like and pursues what he likes. For this wise person, there's nothing that he does not like, there's nothing that he likes because everything is perfect. In the vision of the fa- in the vision that I am perfect, and that everything is perfect, there is no question of liking something or not liking something, because like and dislike can be only when there is something other than me. As long as I looked at people of the world as different from me, as long as I looked upon myself as being confined to this one personality, so long the rest of the world was different from me. And then, if some part of the world is favorable to me, is kind to me, then I like it, there is an attachment. If some other part of the world was cruel to me, then I have an aversion for that. So attachment and aversion presupposes this perception of duality. Attachment and aversion presupposes my perception as an individual. An individual who is needy. And therefore, Whoever appears to fulfill my need becomes important for me, becomes an object of attachment. And whoever comes in the way of my fulfilling need becomes an object of aversion. But here, the wise person sees himself as all. Just as when the part space discovers that I am space, then he finds that no other part space is different from me, nothing is separate from me. The eye of this part space includes all parts and pants and everything. And there cannot be what favorable and unfavorable within me. See, whatever I know is I. For example, this body is me. There is no question about it. Then I cannot say that I love my little finger and I hate my thumb because both are I. There cannot be love or hatred for I. There cannot be attachment or aversion for I. And that's how in the discovery that it's I, the self alone is everything, there's no scope for any attachment or aversion. There's nothing likable, nothing dislikable. There's only anything lovable. All that remains is love really, because love for me is always unconditional. When I say that there's no attachment and aversion for I, that means that there is unconditional love for I. Attachment means conditional love, as long as that thing helps me, is helpful. Aversion also is distorted love, because I love something, therefore I hate something else. All of that shows that there is unconditional love for myself. And therefore, as far as the wise person is concerned, there is nothing but unconditional love. Therefore there is nothing to be achieved. Whatever had to be achieved has been achieved. That may be the case, he has no agenda left. Then what will happen now? Automatically, his destiny responds to the agenda of the world, because he has no agenda. And therefore, it is not his free will who functions through him anymore. It is his destiny, meaning Ishwara's will functions through him. And therefore, in fact, we cannot even say that the wise person is doing this and not doing something. If you had a sense of doership, then you can say that he has did something good or bad. Lord Krishna, sarvatha vartamanapi, in whichever way he conducts, that is merely from the standpoint of the onlookers. From his standpoint, he doesn't conduct. If he had this notion that I am doing this, then of course he will be also subject to punya papa, no question about it. 
Oh, Swamiji says in one place, if God also thought that I created this world, suppose, God thought I, then he will be miserable. Oh, even I created this, I read this, I read that. Thank God that God has no sense of doership at all, so he can sleep in his yoga nidra all the time. Moment I'm a doer, there is always going to be a problem. I did this, then there is pride. I did that, then there is guilt. Something or the other will be there. But here, the freedom is really freedom from sense of doership, which makes me free from all hurt and guilt. And therefore, from his standpoint, the wise person doesn't do anything. Things get done. So like a, a dry leaf, that simply floats in the current of air and so also, this person is floating only in the current of destiny, with nothing to achieve for himself, with no personal agenda. And therefore, he is not subject to any punya power. <coughs> However, to an onlooker, when an onlooker only evaluates somebody else from his own standard, so I know that when this hand is lifted, I am lifting it there. When that person lifts and he is lifting it, meaning that just as I impute the sense of doers to do myself, I take for granted that this fellow also is a doer and is doing deliberate actions for his own agenda. Then I will brand his action as Punya or Papa. <clears throat> I will say is what he is doing is right or what he is doing is not right by my own standard. Lord Krishna says, it doesn't matter how he is judged. Sarvathavartamanapi from the perception of anybody other people, the onlookers. However, he is judged. Sayogi Mayavartate, he always abides in me. Meaning that he is always the recipient of my grace. He is always accepted by me. And you can also say this way. Tasyahamna pranashyami sachimena pranashyadi can also mean that I never reject him and he never rejects me. That we cannot say, I will accept a person provided person fulfills my conditions. And moment he fails to do that, I reject him. Lord Krishna says, I never reject him, he never rejects me. How come he does not reject him? Because he has no worship. How come I don't reject him? I don't have worship. Both are one. So here, this moksha, what is meant by freedom or liberation is described. One way of describing, there are many ways of describing, sarvatha vartamanopi, in whichever way he conducts himself, he still is liberated, he still is free, he is never rejected by me, he always, I, he always remains myself, he always remains dearest to me, he always remains the recipient of my grace. <coughs> so there are different examples of wise people in our scriptures, like Yagnyavalkya. Yagnyavalkya renounced everything. That's how Bhrhadarani Gopanas describes. He calls his wife Maitri and says that I am now going to give up this Guruhatsa Ashrama. I am going to take up the uh, Sanyas Ashrama. So Yajnavalka renounced it. He didn't perform any duties. And still his wives. Whereas King Janaka, with whom Yajnavalka had the dialogues, he was very much in Guruhatsa Ashrama. And therefore, he very much performed his duties. So he was a wise person who did everything that was required to be done. Yajnavalka is a wise person who did not perform any duties. Then there is description of his Dattatreya. If you have heard of Dattatreya, he was what they call Avdhuta. Avdhuta means one who has no awareness of his body, who no awareness of what he is doing. And therefore you may find them doing all very strange and miserable, strange things. Eating strange things, doing strange things. That's how Dattatreya was. And still, all their examples of Janaka always doing what we call Vihita Karma or what is enjoined. Dattatreya doing Nishiddha Karma, meaning doing something that is prohibited. And Yajnivalkya not doing any karma. Different examples are there. But they are all wise people. Krishna Bhogi, Shuko Yogi, Nrupav, Janaka Raghavav. 
Lord Krishna is also liberated. Although he has 16,108 wives of bhogi. No bigger, bigger bhogi than Krishna. Sukho yogi, Sukadevji is yogi, absolutely unaware even of his body. To such an extent that, in fact, he was given a better certificate than his father, Vyasa. Veda Vyasa is, of course, known as the most exalted sage. And Sukadevji is young man, boy, is his son. And then Sukadevji walks away. Because he is born renunciate. And his father runs after him, hey, come on, come back. Putre titarava, putre, oh putre, oh putre. When he says, then the, the trees also say, hey putre. He just walks away. So while this, this boy Shukadevji is walking, going, passing by, he passes by this sage, I mean the river Yamuna, where some of the gopis were taking their baths. So these are, there is a bath for women, you know, so that they are taking baths. And this boy walked by and the gopis did not do anything. When Veda Vyasa walked by, they all covered themselves, you know. So Vyasa says, what is this? You did not cover your body when my son was passing by and you are doing this. When I said, yes sir, we are sorry. Your son has no awareness of his body at all. He doesn't even think he is a man or woman or nothing at all. That's called avadhuta. Dattatre was an avadhuta. There's anything. And still, so, Shuko Yogi, Nrupau Janakaragavau, King Janaka and King Rama, the Nrupau, they were kings. They're still wise persons. Karmanishtaha, Vasishthadhyaha, Vasishtha and other sages were always devoted to the duties. Sarvete Gnanina Samaha. Even though they're all different in their conduct, as far as the wisdom is concerned, they are all the same. Therefore, there may be a wise person who lives in a cave and doesn't do anything, other than eating his food twice a day or once a day. There is someone else who is going around the world and doing all kinds of things. <coughs> and in between. Sarvathavartamanopi sayogi mai vartate. That yogi always abides in me. He never loses sight of me. He's always a recipient of my grace, regardless of what he does. So this is the way of describing what we call moksha or jivan mukti. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutavande Bhagavanta Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shantishantishantihi Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari